1: The couple that I spoke to, well, I spoke to one partner, um, Pat Henschel, she's been with uh, Terry, who was a catcher in the league for 70 years, and they mentioned that everyone, they told everyone they were best friends. I found a a story about Terry from about 10 years ago, and um, Pat is mentioned as her cousin and roommate. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of ways that they had to go about obscuring um, the reality of their relationship because, you know, they could. They could lose family. They could lose their jobs. You know, there was a lot at stake.
0: Welcome to the Edge of Sports podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week... We speak about a piece that went viral this week about the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, the women who played pro baseball in the 1940s, and how LGBTQ players needed to stay in the closet and how they signaled to each other about their actual identity. The piece is called The Hidden Queer History Behind a League of Their Own, and we have the author on this week's show. Brittany De La Creta. She's a freelance writer whose work focuses on the intersections of sports, gender, and culture. Also, I got Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down award this week that focuses on the White House and their disinvitation to the Philadelphia Eagles. I've got some choice words about a historic watershed moment involving the Argentina national team and a game that was to be played in Jerusalem. And I got a very special Kaepernick watch breaking news with regards to his collusion case that is sure to make the White House shiver. But first, let's go to Brittany De La Creta. So Brittany, my first question is how you came about doing this project. Why did it matter to you? What was the inspiration for taking this on?
1: Well, it matters to me because you know, I'm a queer person, and so I'm constantly looking for myself in culture, and society, and also recognizing when, you know, stories that are important to me have been erased. Um, and I'd always heard rumblings that there were queer women in the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, which makes sense because there's queer stories everywhere because there's queer people everywhere, Um and so I knew the anniversary was coming up and I wanted to do a big story about the league. So I decided to try, um, at first I was mostly just going to write about the fact that the the women who played um, were not allowed to be perceived as gay and could be um, punished or kicked out of the league um, for lesbian activities and was sort of just going to do a historical piece Um, and I was really kind of shocked when I discovered all of this new material that hadn't been reported before.
0: So how did you go about doing the research in getting this new material?
1: Well, I started with what was already out there. And then I started talking to, uh, some of the players who are still alive. And, um, as I expected, most of them didn't really want to talk about it. Um, I'd sort of get, you know, I'd be at events. I was at women's baseball events and some of the, the players were there. And so I'd, you know, bring up that I was working on this story and, um, they kind of just say, you know, we didn't talk about it and that was it, right? They shut you down like that. And I sort of thought that's how it was going to go. Um, and then there were two things I think that really kind of broke it open for me. The first was the obituaries, um, and the idea for even looking at the obituaries came from, there's a historical fiction book called Bright Lights of Summer by Lynn Ames, and it's about lesbian softball players in the 1940s. And in the opening chapter, they mentioned the obituaries. And I was like, oh my God, what if it's that simple? Um, and so I started there. And then the second piece was getting to connect with um, Pat Henschel, who is the longtime partner of Carrie Donahue who played in the league. Um, so when she called me um, and asked, how can I help you? I almost dropped the phone. Um, that was the second
0: big piece. Now you mentioned the phrase before lesbian activities in the eyes of the people that ran the all American girls professional baseball league. That was very broad in terms of how they defined lesbian activities. Can you speak about how the league operated to, obfuscate queerness
1: yeah very broad it could be as mild as having a haircut that was too short um there were women who were cut from the league or sent home from tryouts even for having um hair that was considered too short um they were discouraged from wearing clothes that were too masculine um so even like women's oxford shoes were too masculine Um, And written into the actual rules of the league were things like your lipstick must always be on um, and you have to be wearing feminine clothing at all times when not in your uniform. So it started on that end and then it went to, um, there was no fraternization policies um, between teams which You know, the official reason given for that was to keep up the competitive spirit of the league, Um, but a lot of the players will tell you that it was really to avoid players having relationships with each other.
0: There's that phrase, play like a man, play like a lady.
1: Yes. That was the, uh, Philip Wrigley, who was the owner of the the Chicago Cubs at the time, you know, the the bubblegum Wrigley fame, um. He was the owner of the league, and it was him who really pushed this idea that the players had to be really feminine. And, you know, in part, when we look, you know, the league's a product of its time, right, in the the 1940s and and 1950s, um, there was something threatening. Today there's still something threatening to a lot of people about female athletes. Um, And so on the one hand, this overly feminine image, was to make these women playing baseball palatable um, to the larger culture, but also it did exist to keep them from being perceived as gay, uh, which a lot of them were.
0: One of the interesting things in your article is, I thought, how players signaled queerness to each other. What were the ways players were able to communicate this to each other while being under the watchful eye of Philip Wrigley?
1: I think, this is something that we've always been able to do, right, is to to try to find people like us. Um, And so a lot of times players will say that they knew or they had an idea that that women might be, you know, uh, having relationships with each other because they were clannish was the word that was often used. They would kind of pair off. um, And some of the other players have said things like, women who wore, you know, masculine clothes um, were usually women who wanted to get with other women, which, of course, that's not always true. Um, even today, like, those are stereotypes that still exist. But at the same time, they were things that players within the league might have been looking for from from other players. Um, you also have players like um, Jojo D'Angelo, for example, um, I use her as an example in the opening of my story. um, She was cut from the team for getting a haircut uh, that she later in life described as butchy, but it was, you know, a short bob. Um, And she was gay, and before she joined the league, she was fairly openly out, particularly for that time. Um, But when she joined the league, she had to be much more quiet about it. Um, So there were women like that who were kind of quietly out among
0: the players can you tell the story of dot wilkinson
1: yeah so dot wilkinson uh she's still alive was probably one of the best softball players ever um but she played in the um american softball association uh she's a catcher and she was recruited uh to play in the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. Um, they offered her $85 a week, which is quite a decent amount of money. It's about, like, $1,200 um, a week now. Um, mm-hmm. And she didn't go. And part of it was just because she loved softball and she loved her team um, and she didn't want to leave Arizona where she lived. Um But the other part of it was that she didn't want to sign a contract that would have required her to have curfews and chaperones and go to term school, which is another way that the league um, made sure that the women were feminine enough. Um, They had to attend term school. Um, But also she was gay, and she knew that all of these policies were being put in place to prevent the women from being perceived as know what she was and so she decided uh not to play for that reason so she stayed uh, in her softball league
0: i'm hoping you could also tell the story of isla borders can you talk about her and your research and maybe conversations you had with her and what you learned from that relationship Mm
1: -hmm. so isla borders uh was the first woman to play men's professional baseball since negro league she uh Pitched in college. I think she was the first woman to get a college scholarship. And she played for two independent league teams as well. And she quit uh, playing baseball. And we find out in her memoir, which um, came out a few years ago, it's called Making My Pitch. uh, We find out that the reason she ended up quitting baseball was because she was in the closet and she didn't feel like she could come out and still have a professional baseball career. She felt like being openly lesbian would have killed her career. So um, she quit so she could live you know, a more authentic life for herself. Um, I met Isla at the Red Sox, run a fantasy camp for women at their spring training facility. And I was there um, for a story this January and Isla was one of the coaches. And so I was able to kind of sit down and talk to her a little bit about um, that experience. And she's very, you know, at ease with herself now and and she's very clear that she made the right decision, but what, how much stress and what a toll it took on her to have to hide who she was um, and dodge questions, which, you know, on some level she said, you're traveling all the time you're really busy it's very easy to say i'm too busy to get set up i'm too busy to date so on that level it's easy to avoid um but at the same time because she was a high profile female athlete in a male-dominated sport she was constantly being asked who are you dating do you have a boyfriend um and that for her was so much pressure that um it made it not worth it
0: wow that's really something so since you've written this article, have you rewatched a League of Their Own?
1: I haven't. I haven't rewatched it um since the article went out.
0: What do you think your thoughts about it now would be?
1: I love the movie. I think that like the League itself was a product of its time. The movie is a product of its own time. You know, it's it'll be twenty six years old, I think, this year.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I also think that, you know, on one hand, the exclusion of a queer storyline I feel like did a disservice to a lot of the women that that played. Um, I do think, you know, I've heard Rosie O'Donnell's um, So Long Charlie when she throws the picture off the bus. I've heard people say that, you know, in its own way, that could be interpreted (laughs) as, um, you know, a little nod to a potential Mm -hmm. queerness. Um, but I also think that on some level, the players may not have been ready for that aspect of their story to have been told. And so what I mean by that is, you know, it's still today, there's, you know, not a lot of the women are still living, but it's very hard to get them to talk openly about it. I was shocked that, you know, I even got one um, couple to speak to me on the record I know of others that are still living who, you know, don't want to be public with it. Um, but when A League of Their Own was filmed, initially there was a scene where um, Gina Davis's character, Dottie, uh, kisses Jimmy Dugan, played by Tom Hanks. And from what I understand, they screened the film for the players, and a lot more of them were living at the time. And they were horrified that she would cheat on her husband while he was deployed. And so they cut the scene because they were it upset the women so much and felt so untrue um to what they felt their experiences had been and so I wonder if perhaps the women of the league all weren't ready for that that aspect of their lives to be represented on film.
0: Oh, I'm so glad that wasn't in the movie. That would have <laughs> been so cringy,
1: yeah. But you know they're, they're making a TV reboot of A League of Their Own. Do you know this?
0: No, I didn't.
1: So I don't know many details, but there's a TV show being made based on um, A League of Their Own. And I'm really holding out. I'm very hopeful. I hope if I keep saying it <laughs> putting it out into the world that we get at least one clear storyline um, with the with the new show.
0: Wow. And to me... It not just makes sense for historical accuracy, but there's a terrific amount of drama in how you signal, how you try to live that life, because as you write in your article, being out during World War II was not something that people could really do without these tremendous risks.
1: Right. I mean, you know, I mentioned it, but it was still considered a mental illness until like 1973. Um, you had a lot to lose if if you were outed. Um The couple that I spoke to, well, I spoke to one partner, um, Pat Henschel, she's been with uh, Terry, who was a catcher in the league uh, for 70 years, and they mentioned that everyone, they told everyone they were best friends. I found a a story about Terry from about 10 years ago, and um, Pat is mentioned as her cousin and roommate. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of ways. That they had to go about obscuring um, the reality of their relationship because you know they could they could lose family they could lose their jobs you know there was a lot at stake.
0: Thank you so much for your time in terms of talking about this. Um, thank you for your work. I did want to ask you since the story itself has gone viral and congratulations to you about that. Have you gotten any reactions from anybody that you want to share? Like people that have reached out to you since publication.
1: Yeah, so my favorite one was from the official league's Twitter account, the people that run the social media for the league. Um, I was really, really nervous about writing this because I know it's important and it's really important history to me. And I know that talking about queer issues is not as taboo as as it had been. But I was really concerned that some of the living players would have felt um, like this was in bad taste. And, you know, because I respect them so much, um, I was nervous about what the reaction was gonna be. And, um, you know, the league knew I was writing it. The league historians knew I was writing it because I had reached out through official channels to see if they could point me in any direction. Um, And they were also the ones who gave um, Pat my phone number Um, and told her that I was working on this story, Uh, but I was still really nervous, and not only did they share it on their official Twitter account um, during the 75th anniversary weekend celebration, they uh, responded publicly to say that it was really well done and important piece of history and that they were glad it was shared, and I'll tell you what, I didn't realize how much I was holding on that I, I started crying I was like in an Applebee's or something and I started crying because I was so relieved um because I really just I wanted to do their stories justice um I and I care so much about it and I was really glad that that was seen and I think that's important to mention too to show that the people who are you know running the league and involved with keeping the league's history and memory alive they're evolving too And that they're really open to the, you know, to sharing pieces of the history um, that may not look as good in a modern light, but that are the reality because of when the league existed.
0: Brittany Delacreda, thank you so much for your time. Before you go, something we ask all our guests, especially when you're working on a story like this or when you're getting some exercise as a break from that story, taking a walk in the middle of it, uh, what kind of music are you listening to?
1: So I actually do not listen to music while I'm working. I can't, especially with lyrics. It like pulls me out. Mm-hmm. But during the it took me 6 months um of research for this story and I was actually listening to the Hamilton soundtrack on repeat for like almost that entire period.
0: Any particular song?
1: Um I kind of I love them all, but I like um I like the Skylar sisters because it's like the uh, Destiny's Child. Lin-Manuel Miranda's ode to Destiny's Child.
0: Angelica. Work, work Eliza. And Peggy. Work, The Skylar sisters. Angelica. Peggy. Eliza. Work. I love that. And Peggy. <laughs> okay, Brittany, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: We'll be back right after this with the Edge of Sports podcast. Daddy said to be home by sundown doesn't need to know Daddy said not to go downtown. Like I said, you're free to go, but corral, corral, the revolution's happening We'll be back right after this, but first a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast the nation magazine okay look the need for independent journalism has never been more important and the nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865 i'm serious This is what you got to read. It's The Nation magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe. And please never forget that when you support The Nation magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now I've got some choice words about a recent happening in the Middle East that speaks to the best tradition of sports and resistance. Okay, look, the group Jewish Voice for Peace called it a watershed moment and the biggest victory for the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. Israeli Defense Minister Avigdor Lieberman seethed that this week has seen a win for Israeli-hating inciters. What spurred such an impassioned reaction on both sides? It wasn't Lord canceling a concert in Israel, and it wasn't Natalie Portman refusing an award. This time, it was the Argentina national soccer team saying no to the Israeli state. With three days' notice, the renowned squad canceled a friendly World Cup warm-up match in Jerusalem, a game that sold out last month within 20 minutes of tickets going on sale. now. No one will be watching anything. Argentina canceled the match amid increasing international pressure for the team to boycott the game after last month's massacre of more than 60 Palestinians in Gaza by the Israeli Defense Forces. These Gazans were protesting the fateful decision by Donald Trump to relocate the United States Embassy to Jerusalem. That decision was why the call for Argentina to boycott the match intensified because Israel's right-wing government of Benjamin Netanyahu chose to move the game from Haifa to Jerusalem's Teddy Kollek Stadium. In immediate response, the head of the Palestinian Football Association, Jabril Rajoub, led the call for Argentina to boycott, saying that Israel had politicized the match by the highly symbolic Jerusalem move. Rajoub also called upon Palestinian fans, to burn the posters of Argentine star Lionel Messi in protest if they participated. Rajoub said, Messi is a symbol of peace and love. We ask him not to participate in laundering the crimes of the occupation. Argentina then decided not to participate with the country's foreign minister, Jorge Foray, saying that several players were not willing to play in the game, although he did not specify why. Both Israel and Argentina cited threats against players, but other than the intensifying calls to protest, it is not apparent what threats they are referring to. Gonzalo Higuán, a forward for Argentina, after the decision to abide by the boycott, said to ESPN, in the end, they've done the right thing and this is behind us. Health and common sense come first. We felt that it wasn't right to go. The significance of this BDS victory cannot be overstated. Human rights attorney and assistant professor at George Mason University, Nora Erekat, said to me, This is major. Though it may not be the first sports boycott since Sri Lankan and Indian teams have refused to play in Israel before, one of the most visible teams and renowned players in global football has refused to normalize Israel's national institutions at a critical political juncture. This indicates the mainstreaming of the Palestinian freedom struggle and a rejection of U.S.-Israeli promises of an even more violent and exclusionary future. End quote. To give a sense of how major this is, it's been reported that Netanyahu reached out to Argentine President Mauricio Macri personally to have him pressure the team to change their minds, but he was unable to salvage the game. Not surprisingly, Israel's hardline leaders are apoplectic. Avignor Lieberman, who last month justified the massacres by saying, There are no innocent people in Gaza, raged on Twitter. It's unfortunate the soccer nights of Argentina did not withstand the pressure of the Israeli hating inciters, whose only goal is to harm our basic right to self defense and bring about the destruction of Israel. We will not lead before a pack of anti Semitic terrorist supporters. End quote. Look, after last month's killings, the shameful argument that any protest against Israeli human rights violations is inherently anti-Semitic, especially the peaceful calls for BDS in response to these crimes, simply carries no moral weight. The Argentina national team is one of the most high-profile squads on Earth. This truly is a watershed moment, a moment in which the highest pinnacle of the sports world said no to war and occupation and being used as a prop to support a nation in the aftermath of a massacre. And now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Just stand up and just sit your ass down. Stand up. Look, at the intersection of sports and politics, the last week was dominated by the decision of Donald Trump to rescind the invitation to the Philadelphia Eagles to come to the White House. Now, this invitation uh, would have been absolutely hilarious if it had gone through because only about 10 or maybe even less than 10 Philadelphia Eagles were willing to show up. The big lie from Donald Trump was that the invitation was being rescinded because of the Philadelphia Eagles' refusal to stand for the national anthem or some such nonsense even though not one Eagle player took a knee during the last season, although they were one of the most socially conscious teams, as we've discussed on this show, with players ranging from Malcolm Jenkins to Chris Long to Torrey Smith and others all taking part in the movement uh, for racial equity and against police violence with Chris Long in particular uh, stepping up and donating his year's salary uh, to social justice educational scholarships in his hometown in Charlottesville after last August's killing of Heather Heyer at the pro-Klan protest that took place there. But the Just Stand Up Award this week doesn't only go to the Philadelphia Eagles for what was looking like a, a historic boycott of this White House. But the shout out too goes in particular to University of Maryland graduate, local shout out, Tory Smith, because he responded immediately to the invitation being rescinded, and this is what he said. He said, so many lies, SMH, that means shaking my head. Here are some facts. One, not many people were going to go. Two, no one refused to go simply because Trump insists folks stand for the anthem. Three, the president continues to spread the false narrative that players are anti-military. Now, these responses to me are intimately connected to what Tory Smith said last February for why he did not think most of the Eagles players would be going to the White House. This is what he said then. For me, it's not just about politics. If I told you that I was invited to a party by an individual I believe is sexist or has no respect for women, or I told you that this individual has said offensive things towards many minority groups, This individual also called my peers and my friends SOBs. You would understand why I wouldn't want to go to that party. Why is it any different when the person has title of President of the United States? Thank you, Tory Smith, for just standing up. Thank you for telling the truth about this moment in history. This is not about the anthem. This is about silencing players. This is about silencing dissent. And as long as you are not silent, the bastards will not win. The Just Sit Your Ass Down this week, Sit Your Ass Down, Sit Your Ass Down, goes again to the all-time winner of this award, the Trump White House, for again trumpeting the lie about these protests that are staged during the anthem against racial inequity and police violence are somehow uh, all about the anthem and patriotism. I thought the best rebuke to Trump came from Golden State Warriors head coach Steve Kerr. And I want to read to y'all, if you missed it, what Steve Kerr said, because it's kind of fresh. This is what Kerr said. He said, The president is turning all this stuff into a political game and a ratings game, and it's a blatant display of nationalism. What patriotism is, is helping your fellow citizens. I'm blown away by the irony of the Eagles being disinvited. When you read about their good deeds in their communities, Malcolm Jenkins addressing lawmakers really trying to get to the root of some of the issues that we have, and instead we just have these military sing-alongs at the White House to show how patriotic we are, even though we don't know the words reference to Donald Trump not knowing the words to God Bless America at that idiotic sing-along. It's just incredible. It is incredible. But I'm really proud of people in this country who are recognizing what's happening, and instead of turning this into a political game, they're just trying to do good deeds because that's what it takes. End quote. That's what Steve Kerr said. No hope. People see through this administration, and if they don't, they ain't trying to see the other side anyway. I mean, my goodness, the guy didn't know the words to God bless America while he's lecturing everybody on patriotism. It's an absurdity that would be rejected by uh, screenwriters in Hollywood. How ridiculous this is all becoming. But the resistance by athletes is so strong, that's exactly why Donald Trump wants to shut it down. So we have to treasure this resistance and support it however we can. And as for Donald Trump in this administration, please sit your ass down. Hey everybody, this is Dave Zirin from the Edge of Sports Podcast. We're trying to add all kinds of bells and whistles to this pod. To do that, we need more folks who can sustain its existence. Go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. That is where you'll find us. If you become a patron, you'll see you get all kinds of little treats. But it's so important that people help us sustain and do the work. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and you can give 5 bucks a month, 10 bucks a month or if you're feeling mighty generous a hell of a lot more than that. And all of that helps us do the kind of work that we're trying to do on the regular patreon.com/edgeofsportspod and now back to the broadcast. And now it's time for the part of the show that we call Kaepernick Watch, the latest with what's happening with Colin Kaepernick. This week we have some huge news coming out of the collusion case that Colin Kaepernick has levied against NFL owners. His legal team is expected to seek federal subpoenas to compel testimony from Donald Trump, Mike Pence, and other officials, quote-unquote, familiar with the president's agenda on protesting NFL players. This was all leaked to Yahoo Sports. Now, in the words of Yahoo Sports, Charles Robinson, I believe, is the author of this, the aim will be a dive into the administration's political involvement with the NFL during Kaepernick's free agency and the league's handling of player protests, sources said. This after disclosures that multiple owners had direct talks with Trump about players kneeling during the national anthem. The content of those conversations between Trump and owners as well as any forms of pressure directed at the league by the administration, are expected to shape the request to force the testimony of Trump, Pence, and other affiliated officials, sources said. Oh, please get Donald Trump under oath. Because the dude can't speak without lying, but once you put your hand on that Bible, it's a whole different story. And if the end of this Trump fiasco ends with him being taken down by Colin Kaepernick, well, man... Call Hollywood on speed dial at that point because that's the story of the century. And one last word that I really want to share. Of course, all of us were rocked this week by news of Anthony Bourdain's suicide. He was one of those people who we felt like we knew, one of those people who made us want to experience life I mean just an amazing person and people might have seen the suicide hotline number that's been flashed everywhere in the wake of this but I want to say something else because a critique that I saw online about just putting out the suicide hotline number is that it puts it on the person who's depressed to reach out when oftentimes when you're depressed that's absolutely the hardest thing to do So instead of putting it on the people who are suffering to reach out, I want to put it on you, the listener, to reach out to people around you. If there's somebody in your life who you feel like uh, just seems like they're down. If there's someone in your life who, who hasn't reached out to you in a while, who you usually expect to hear from, why don't you reach out to them? Let's do it that way. Let's turn it upside down. Let's not put it on the people who are depressed to reach out. Let's put it on us if we're feeling in a good mental space to reach out to those who are hurting. Well, that's all I have for this week's show. Thank you so much to Brittany Della Creta. Thank you so much to everybody who works on production for the show. Uh, If you like the show, please go to iTunes, Stitcher, your podcast app of choice. Everybody, please stay frosty and take care of each other. We are out of here. Peace.